The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Thank you, Sister Rose, Sister Jubilee, for a wonderful children's message. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Now, see, I've I, I, I been up since 7-something this morning. So I, I, I'm uh, trying to get the word out, preach it to the 815 people, and, you know, they were still asleep. So I hope y'all 1030 folk woke up in your right mind, ready to praise the Lord. Amen, amen. Uh, as you can see, you can hear, I have a little sinus situation, but the devil won't work in the sinuses. I, got, I think I got my strength back just a little bit. My help comes from the Lord. As you know, we have been going through uh, preaching through our vision. And in preaching through the mission and the vision of downtown church, what we're trying to do is shape our minds and our hearts here as to what we do and why we do it. Uh, it is always important for you to embody and take upon yourself the very things that you have not only assented to, to hear as a covenant body, but in how we flesh these things out in our day-to-day lives. The reason that's very important is because the way we live our lives should be governed by the way that the Bible teaches us to live. Now, we're talking about gospel-empowered lives. Remember, the vision of downtown church is downtown exists to form a new community. Everybody say new community. Now, if you were to parse that out just a little bit more, you would understand that that comes from Pauline theology in terms of one new humanity, uh, one new man. And as he's fleshing that out, a lot of it has to do with God doing the transformative work in minds and the hearts of the people of God so that that they may be unified dealing with all different uh, backgrounds of individuals. That's very important. Why is that important? Because we're saying not only did he he create a new community, but downtown we're radically loving Christ and our neighbor. Everybody say radical. The reason you want to do it radically is because that's the modifier as to how we do what we do. Some people can do it peacefully. Some people can do it the way they want to do it. But we're going to do it radically. Amen, somebody. And so, Andrew, the reason we want to do that is because we believe that it is countercultural. That is the very thing that teaches us how we ought not to be driven by culture, but be kingdom-driven and gospel-empowered. Y'all see how I did that? Last week we talked about kingdom-drivenness. This week we're talking about gospel-powerness. And I'm talking about how that's the impetus as to why we do what we do. Amen? And so everybody has a different way that they would describe the gospel. Believe it or not, so many different people find themselves on different platforms as to what drives them in defining their gospel. You don't believe me? Well, let me ask you this. If you were to define your gospel, everybody looks through the lens or their worldview of conservatism, liberalism, or independentism or modernism or any other ism as to what drives your understanding of the gospel. But the gospel isn't driven by any of the human systems of belief, but it's driven by what God does in the hearts and the minds of his people. 
See, th- this is what's important because I believe that the church is divided and there's a big schism because people think that, hey, the gospel is X, and it's only X. If we have a robust gospel, it's not merely X, dealing with one's point of view in terms of, you know, wherever you land politically, wherever you land in terms of what you deal with socially, wherever you land in terms of how you have been raised and thought, etc., all of that makes sense, but it's not what drives or empowers the people of God. Now, at the same time, we're not talking about a gospel that is not tangible. We're talking about a gospel that very much meets the needs of people. You can't tell me about a gospel and then my stomach empty and I ain't got nothing to put in my belly. Is that a gospel? You, all you want to tell me is about Jesus coming, saving my life, giving me eternal life, but I ain't ate in 14 days. And I'm not fasting. So some of us need to be fasting. That's another thing. But the idea here is, is that we are empowered not by a gospel that's driven from our own ideologies, systems of belief, worldviews that are very humanistic. We're empowered by a gospel that is actually coming from heaven. And so we're going to read that. And if you know anything about me, I love Titus. Titus is a good book in terms of just walking through our lives, understanding how to be deeply rooted in the Bible as a Christian. Titus chapter 3, uh, 1 through 8, it talks about being ready for any good work, but it also deals with how the gospel is rooted in our hearts, in our minds, and it changes us to be ready for that. Hear the word of the Lord. Remind them, remind them, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Say good work, church. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy to all people. Say all people. Is it just some people? Is it just the people that you like? Is it the people that's the color of your skin? Is it the people in your income tax bracket? My goodness, y'all reading y'all Bibles. For we ourselves, we, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Father, help us. Help us to see what you and what it means to live as people who do good works. 
empower us. Let us, li let us live this life by your spirit, filled with your spirit. Help me, Lord, as your preacher. Hide me beneath your cross. Allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer. All God's people say together. Gospel-empowered church is not a place to place its face in humanistic belief systems or systems of thought. The reason that is important, it is because the gospel-empowered community shows the city, the nation, the community, all those around us, the entire world, a better way of life. How many of us want to live a better way of life? That is important because all of the six years we just spent in Isaiah, you should remember this verse. Chapter and verse, Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace and who brings good news of happiness. Or how uh, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. In order for us to carry this, it has to be a good news and an empowerment of the gospel that we devote ourselves to, to the teaching of God's word and under the authority of God's word. <clears throat> Oftentimes, it is hard for us to devote ourselves to the teaching of God's word when we don't read God's word. It's hard to devote ourselves to and come under the authority of God's word when we don't seek to understand God's word. Somebody this week just sent me a text message showing some preacher saying that we don't have to believe everything in the Bible. Oh, my goodness. I, I was going to ask you to slap your neighbor, but I don't want no physical violence in here. Just look to your neighbor and say, we need to believe. Because everything around us is trying to cause us not to believe in the Bible. You got to believe that. You got to understand it because everything's trying to distract us. It's trying to drive us away. And inherently, we're not driven to be gospel people, beloved. We're not inherently driven to be great individuals wanting to live out and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I believe that there is a God who died for our sins, who made sure that we would have a word that will guide us and lead us in the way in which we live. But it doesn't necessarily, once we begin to integrate ourselves in some theological system of thought or read more, what happens is we forget the God that saved us. We read a little bit. We get a little knowledge. And you remember in 1 Corinthians, it said it, it puffed you up. And see, this is the same thing with the Christian people. And in the context of that era, knowledge was something big. Gnosticism in its teaching, etc. And I believe that we oftentimes fall into much of that because we're trying to understand life. But what God is saying is, I've saved you and I've given you this in order for you to understand it. If you just pick it up and read it back and forth, I guarantee the Spirit of God will do something more powerful than any other account that is written to work in, in concert with his word. The Spirit of God makes his word come alive, not how much you know. The Spirit of God makes the ability for you to understand, not your exegetical skills, the, the ability of the Spirit walking in, working in you, filling you up, allows you to be filling the power of every word, dripping with love and grace and mercy. Here it is. God helps us. 
because we have a wisdom and a knowledge and a love and a strength that is empowered not because Michael Davis is a great person. It is because God, by his spirit, by the gospel that leads me, allows me to live a godly life and want to be around godly people. And you got to understand, living a godly life, as Titus has already said in chapter 2, helps us, it trains us to renounce all ungodliness. How many of us need to understand that we got to be trained in godliness? We got to be growing up and developing in godliness. I'm trying to set the path for them because sometimes our pride and our arrogance is at the core of the way in which we live our lives. Well, they can't tell me nothing. Who are they to say this? Well, I, I'm going to just live my life the way I'm going to live my life. But if we all, beloved, believe that we could just live our lives driven by our pride and our arrogance, what happens is we don't acquaint ourselves with our deep sense of that need for God. And so we become our gods. And we lack trust in the God who created us, who made us. So I want this to be our big idea. This is what I believe the text helps us. By the mercy of God that empowers us to be ready for good works. I'm sorry. It is, God, it is by God's mercy that empowers us to be ready for every good work. It is by God's mercy. It is his mercy that empowers us to be ready for every good work. And I'm kinda, I'll, be, I'll be making two points. It is by God's mercy that we don't want to go back the way we were, right? That we, that, that we have to remember how, what we once were. By God's mercy, we are not what we once were. And then by God's mercy, we are right where he wants us to be. So when we think about we're not what we once were, so many people want to define us by who we are or what, what they see. I see this a lot of times when it comes to education in school. We're quick to label kids. We label them, so, label them so quickly, they become the very thing that we've labeled them. See, I think the issue is once we begin to remember what we once were, what Paul helps us in verses 1 through 3, it helps us to begin to empathize. I think that there's power in empathy. And so why do we need to remember that we were foolish, that we were individuals who were once uh, led astray by uh, uh, various passions and pleasures that we were slaves to our sins? Why do we need to understand that we were passing the days on in terms of malice and envy? Why do we need to understand that we hated others uh, and were hated by others? It is because we oftentimes have spiritual amnesia, which leads to self-righteous dispositions. Spiritual amnesia leads to a self-righteous disposition. We're not just self-righteous to one another. We're self-righteous to God. Uh, the reason that is true is because we don't, when God, when things happen, and it's, it's natural, we, we get upset with God when things happen in life. We get upset with God when troubles come our way. We get upset with God when we feel as if he's not that slot machine that's answering every single prayer. But furthermore, Paul helps us because we understand that we, like the Christian people, who were notoriously known as detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work, that's inherently us. 
And thus, it is strongly commanding, he is strongly, Paul, commanding Titus to inform these Christians that your disposition of godliness in this society that is radically corrupt should be one of empathy, should be one to understand what your leaders, who you're trying to hold their feet to the fire. It's easy to look at government officials who are making uh, 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 the regulations today and say, oh, we shouldn't do the mask, man- the take off the mask mandate, or we shouldn't do this, or you shouldn't be doing this in office, etc." It's easy to do those things, but it's hard to empathize on how difficult it is to make decisions for an entire nation. Some of us have trouble, single folks, making the decision on what you're going to eat when you pull into the drive-thru line. This is an intense fellowship me and my wife have every single time. She's probably watching right now. But the thing is, we cannot be people who are only looking at leaders to please us, but have to look at people, like Paul says, remind them, be submissive to rulers and authorities, be obedient. One would hear, be submissive to rulers, as if you're supposed to just come and do everything that they say. Submission requires prayer. Submission requires prayer. If our lives are not prayerful lives of individuals saying, I'm praying for my government officials, I'm praying for every leader that is in my life, I'm praying for every leader that is governing our society, I'm praying for the leaders that are over there bombing children. Why? Because our hearts should be empathetic to the fact that the decisions that are made are costly to the lives of the individuals that live in our society and in our world. So yes, rulers and authorities, they have high accountability, but you better believe that the fact that what your prayers do are a petition to God for him to make things change. If we don't think God changes things through prayer, we need to continue to read our Bibles. Because he is a God that is still moving, that is still active, that is immutable, that is not changing, has not changed. He was the same God yesterday that was able to part the Red Sea. That's the same God today that is able to do some miracles and change the lives of people. I know some of us are still waiting on God to do those things. But what I want to encourage you is to know that when you petition God, he hears his children. But he hears his children and he knows what his children need. God created this world, and therefore, he is the one that rules and reigns on absolutely everything. And Paul is coming with that lens of thought. So then, that total act of empathy moves more beyond the fact that we want retribution. Instead, we want restoration. We should fight for redemption. And Paul is trying to flesh out what Jesus has said in Mark 22 through 21, where he has said to, 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 to the disciples, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and give unto God what is God. Therefore, I'm not asking you to submit to Caesar as if he's your Lord. I'm your Lord. I'm your God. I'm your king. But trust me, I'm I'm more than the, the coin that Caesar's face is on. I'm more than the, than the kingdom that he reigns in. I, I, I rule over everything just in case you, you forgot. I am God who created absolutely everything just in case you forgot. So give me my praise. Give me the prayers. Give me you. Every single time we understand our lives to be gospel-empowered, we have to say daily, I am giving myself over to God because I do not own my own self. But then we go with this thing that is Paul using this language that you ought to be ready for every good work. 
Why is it that Paul says submit, be obedient to rules and leaders, but then be ready for every good work? Sister Calhoun, why is he he saying such a thing? He's saying it ironically, ironically because as he's talking particularly to the Cretans, he said that they were what? They were deemed detestable. They were deemed disobedient. They were unfit for any good deeds or any good works. Also, in that same verse, what he says in the latter half, he says this, they profess to know God. It's a bunch of Hebrew Israelites right there by Hooters, which I don't know why they stand by Hooters, are are claiming that they know God. Y'all know I'm silly. I say them by Hooters. I say, y'all brothers tripping. Why is it that individuals who are claiming to know God and influential spaces, in, in influential offices, they say that they know God or profess to know God, but they don't live godly lives. The Bible says that the Christians denied him by their works. That's interesting, Dr. Rhodes, because the fact is, is that for this context, what it is saying is the way that they normalized life was to ingratiate Gnostic teachings, various different ideas of wor- uh, understanding the worlds and teachings, etc., but then also idolatrous practices, which oftentimes they impressed upon what they perceived or who they perceived to be God. That is the way we live our lives today. You look at media, you look at, you, you look at uh, uh, anything on TV, a lot of people proclaim to know God and profess to know God. But their works don't attest to that. And the works oftentimes are hard to, to do because I believe what is intrinsically linked to your words and deeds is your belief system. See, here, what we cannot forget is we're, we're driven by self-pleasure. We're driven by hmm, what make me feel good for the moment. We're driven by the instincts and our intuitions of uh, I, I want whatever is pleasurable for that moment. We don't say I'm not going to buy this right here because I'm thinking about how I can use my money for the kingdom of God. We, we don't say I'm going to do, I'm going to go to school or I'm going to use my education in order to build the kingdom of God. Oftentimes, a lot of times, you know, some of y'all are saying, well, you know, I wasn't a teacher because I was going to make much money. Sometimes you became a teacher or you took a certain role because it was about you. But when we start living our lives knowing that it is not about us and it is about God, we then find ourselves right there in the crux of trusting God and knowing him deeper. Because our works, like I was telling the second service, oftentimes our works and our deeds intrinsically tied to our belief system, what happens is I know how much you trust God and I know how much you love God by how much time I spend with your kids. Or how much, you may be like, I ain't got no kids then, so don't you're not talking to me. How How much I spend around that boy you like, the girl you like, whatever you like. I know because of how, what people say about your character. Your works, your deeds manifest themselves in your character and are intrinsically linked to your belief system. You don't believe me? Think about how many times your children wear the same sweatshirt that you wore when you went to college. Think about how you've propagated certain things that you want them to believe in in politically. 
Think about how whatever you have on TV, how they begin to sit and watch with it right there with you, and they cheer or they, or they speak to whatever it is that you, that you desire. They begin to adopt all of the things that you believe. Y'all see that? And they play out in their lives. And so you're saying, Mike, okay, you, you got to, well, then what, what we need to do? Live gospel-empowered lives? Because here's the thing. What the vision of our church helps us to grow in, it helps us to understand and be aware of what's accessible in our community. We are not the individuals who are the saviors of our community, of our city, and of our nation. We would think too high of ourselves. We need to make what is known to all of our community. What I mean by that is, and this is, goes back to the fact that if, if we're going to say the gospel is such, well, you know, the gospel should be a social gospel for the people in that camp, that's fine. Whatever you believe. For, the, for this camp, the gospel is social, and it, so that's absolutely fact. That's absolutely the point. I, I'm, I get to the point where I'm not going to argue about semantics. But if I see a child with no shoes, or the, they got holes in their shoes, I'm going to make sure that their kid has shoes. If, if I see a family that needs food and hungry, you can call it social. You can call it non-social. You can call it whatever it is. I know that that need is tangible. So the good work is the fact that God has given me the ability to recognize a need, and I am going to do the good deed that I know that God has called me to do to serve those individuals. I think we find ourselves arguing about things that are not essential to the human to the human people a lot of times because of our position. It's easy to argue in spaces of power and position in if you don't if you're not the one that's hurting. If you're not the one that needs your bills paid. <laughs> if your life's about to get cut off, it's easy to be like, well, this is what these people need at this particular time, and we're going to just politic about it. And think. No, somebody's water's about to get cut off. Somebody's lights are about to get cut off. Beloved, what I'm trying to have us see in the urgency of what it means to be kingdom-driven and gospel-empowered is these are not just words that we're using. These are the very things in which we embody because we've seen God do it when he was able to walk in and heal the young woman, when he was able to take care of the woman with the issue of blood. He didn't ask where they were politically. He didn't figure out where they stood, but he knew that they had a need and he supplied that need. He was able to come and meet that need. Beloved, we're a church that we can supply needs. God has equipped us mentally. He's given us very educated people. He's given us people who have money in their pocket. He's given many of you to this body in order to help this community. Not because we think we're better than people in the community. No, not because we think we got it together. No, because we're created and made for somebody else and not ourselves. When we live like that, beloved, I'm telling you, that's a gospel-empowered life. Think about how many homeless people are around us. You driving up and down the street. One thing that I loved about when I worked with homeless people in St. Louis is that till this, to this day, Serena, no, I'll point them out by name. Because I worked so intimately with them, right? And I smelled them too. I was like, boy, you need to take a shower today, boy. But, but, but the thing is, today even, when I see homeless individuals, and we only have one homeless shelter, from what I see, from what I know, don't you think we need more homeless shelters? 
We only have a couple food pantries. Don't you think we need a, a, fo- a few more food pantries? Don't you think we need a, a few more clothing drives? Remember when we was out here doing the food bank? Don't you remember how we were serving the needs of our community, connecting with people who needed food at that time because of, because of the food desert that was happening, that was going on? Many of you live in a food desert, much like me. And you got you to think about the fact that the people, where they need to go and how they need to get to things. All I'm trying to do is help us to see that if we're going to be individuals being carrying out the gospel with the beautiful, precious feet that we ought to do, ought, ought to have, it is because God has given us the ability to do such a thing, and he's ma- he should make us aware of every good work that is around us every single day of our lives. But we do it with empathy, beloved. Because in verse 3, Paul makes it clear, you were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing all days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Now, would you ever describe yourself as such? Probably not. You know, we like to, when we think about the way we grew up, we like to, uh, or not to grow up, the way we used to live, like before Christ or while we were not really professing Christ, we glorify that a lot of times. We're not disgusted by it. I'm in that same camp. We should be disgusted by our sins. But we should be so empathetic that we know where we once were and where God has us now and the people that we see and engage who don't know him where they, where they should be. And we shouldn't find ourselves in foolish conversations. The Bible says, right, in, in verse 10, uh, 9, I didn't read that, but, but, but it says, but avoid foolish controversies genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not arguing with a fool because the Bible teaches me not to. I am not going to argue with a fool. Neither should you. The Bible teaches us that we, if no one accepts the, the truth, dust your feet off and keep walking. But as you recognize that you were once this way, Do you recognize your need for the gospel? Do you recognize your need for Jesus daily? And then I'll venture to to go to our next point to where we say that, well, by God's mercy, not only we're not where we we once were, but by God's mercy, he's where he, where, where he, we are where God wants us. By God's mercy, we are where God wants us. God's divine intervention saves your life. God's divine intervention saved your blood. Look at the person next to you say, he saved my life. And he did it without me. He did it without me. So the, the gospel empowered life relies on the power and the presence of God. It is Paul who suggests in Romans 2 and 4 that this kindness, God's kindness, which leads to a person's repentance. Beloved, kind, the kindness of God leads to Repentance not the force of the wrath of God. Not, 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 not saying that any of those things can't lead someone to, to know the Lord, but the, the reality is a lot of times because we believe fear is a mechanism to change people's behavior, we forget that kindness is that very thing. There, not only that, the psalmist says this, that the goodness and the mercy, that will follow you all the days of your life. Why am I reading this? Because when you look at verse 4, it says, but when the goodness and the loving and kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, just highlight appeared, 
Paul has, a, has, has this thing about using appear, which in the Greek means epiphany. And God appearing, not necessarily a physical manifestation, but it's in his goodness, in his loving kindness. It's almost like the, the God appearing uh, uh, by the consuming bush. God appearing by parting the Red Sea. His manifestation is one that actually makes us realize that our lives are not disposable but destined. How many of y'all use paper plates? Paper, you know, paper plates, plastic, forks and knives and all that stuff right there. I, I, I've used that, yeah, as well. And, you, you know, you quick to throw it away, and sometimes we use more paper plates depending on how much food we put on our plate than normal. But the idea is, if our view of ourselves is just as disposable as a paper plate, a utensil, plastic utensil, we treat our, treat our spiritual lives that way, we will never believe in the goodness of God. We will never believe in the kindness of God. God did not providentially intervene in your life to dispose of you. He didn't want to use you as a disposable utensil that is useless. But he wants you to be fruitful. I believe that God has saved you, brought you from darkness to light in order to providentially destine you to do exactly and be exactly where he wants you to be for his glory. Right? I love when Tasha Cobb sang that song. Because it is, that do anything, gets some, it just does something to me. For your glory, I will do anything just to see you. Right? And, and that, that idea, I'm not going to do the Richard. I'm not going to sing on y'all. y'all my, my, I'm congested, so I can't get to my alto like I want to. But, 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 the, but the idea here is for you to recognize that God does not appear merely because he wants to dispose of you. He appears because he cares about you. And parenthetically, I want you to understand, when God appears, appears to us today, our hearts and our mind need to be attuned to his appearance. Our hearts and our minds need to be attuned to that. He appears through people. He appears through community. He appears through every good work. He, uh, he affirms and appears in the moments where you're most fearful. What he does is he places that person. When you start that job or when, you, when, you, when, you're, when you're about to have that new child or when you have had the miscarriage after miscarriage or when you've been by yourself and lonely for so long or that engagement went wrong or marriage went wrong, you've been divorced, your parents are, 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 are you live in a broken home and your parents are mad, and, and you say to yourself, well, God, how are you going to show up? And God does that thing where he shows up by showing you some favor, by placing you in a position that you shouldn't have been by his mercy, by loving you by his grace, showing up in the most weak moments by his grace and powerfully placing you in a position where people say, where your educational background say you shouldn't be there, but you're there now. God appears because he is a powerful, loving, and good God. But he also appears because he's powerful. See, I'm, I'm, I mean, uh, because he's omnipresent. See, I'm a helicopter parent, right? When, when, when uh, me and my wife had intense fellowship when uh, MJ was young, he's a baby, uh, intense fellowship go on in our house. That's what we call it. Okay, I don't know what else y'all, whatever y'all call it. When we, when, we, when we had our intense fellowship, he was going up and down the steps. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, my... 
my, 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 anxi- my anxiety was going up because I'm like, you know, he, he shouldn't be going up and he shouldn't be playing on the steps. And, and Serena was just like, let him, let him learn how to, you know, coordinate up, up and down the steps. And I'm like, he don't need to learn. I'm here to help him learn, right? Uh, but when what I did, oftentimes what I can do is I can enable him or cripple him because sometimes he did need to hit his head. Said, no, I ain't going to go up down the steps no more. My helicopter parentness, for me, is me trying to be a messiah. It's thinking that I can protect my son from everything. I can't do it. But what I can do is fall to my knees and pray that God, in his goodness, what actually means generosity, in his generous mercy, in his generous grace, he can express himself by protecting my son when he bumps his head that it doesn't necessarily affect him and make him have brain damage. Or that the things that I don't see him doing, that God protects him uh, uh, in those moments where I cannot see because he's God. Not only that, his loving kindness, which actually means his affectionate concern for and interest in humanity. You got to realize that he has an, an affectionate concern for you, that he's actually interested in you, that he cares about you. And so many of us are dealing with non-God, like, like trying to deal with lives right now that we don't feel like we're cared for, that we don't feel like we're loved. And what I want to tell you is that the gospel means that you are loved and you are cared for, you are accepted. And the good works that you do are not good works that come from yourself. They're not good works that come because you're extremely generous. It's because you've experienced God's goodness. And therefore, when you are experiencing pain, grief, and loneliness, and someone wraps their arm around you, I want you just to take that as an appearance of God. When you are sitting there weeping to yourself because you don't understand how things are going to work out, I want you to understand that you feel comforted by God. As long as you call on his name, even when you don't call on his name, he is guaranteed to be there. Because when we attune our hearts to the Lord, our minds to the Lord, we fall into his arms. But y'all know I got to be silly, right? So many different things fight for the distraction of our hearts and our minds. The Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime, YouTube TV. Some of us need to cancel our, our, our subscriptions. Even HBO Max. Some of y'all need to cancel y'all subscription. And the reason is, is because that's what your heart's attuned to. When you're stressed and overwhelmed, what you do? You're going to binge watch a whole show. A whole, not show, sorry, series. When you're overwhelmed, you're going to the things that you believe in most. But Psalm 61 says, when your heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. The, 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 the other, some of y'all saying, I don't watch that much TV, Mike. I read. Or I do that. I, I know. But some of y'all love leisure trips. Uh-huh. Instagram, tell on y'all. Instagram, they told on Richard already. He fishing. Some of y'all love to fish, hike, be in the mountains. Places that I probably will not find, ever find myself. And you, and you look at leisure activity as if it's attuning your heart to God. But it's more about your self-care, a self-help, than it is about you connecting to the Lord. You can argue with me on that. You can push back, and I'm fine. But I would say the very thing you run to 
It's the very thing that you believe saves you. This is why in verse 5 it says, he saves us. He saves us from what? Knowing that we've done the work. Look at what it says. Not because of the work, work done, by us, done by us in righteousness. Now, when you underline righteousness, you have to understand that righteousness meant for them, these same individuals who use idolatrous practices, to try to earn themselves something through their spiritual acts. We do that same thing. That's why our good works cannot be muddied down by what we believe is good acts. But our works have to be empowered by what God believes that we is good to his people. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? If I'm putting you to sleep, go ahead and go to sleep. But not only that, what God does is he says, it's not by your righteousness. It is by, but it's according to his own mercies. Doing what? Washing of regeneration and renewal. A snapshot as to what has already happened in your life. And this is not just the regeneration in terms of what we look at in our systematic theology. It is the emphasis, regeneration and renewal, that God is constantly justifying, sanctifying, changing your life in order to one day when you understand who he is, you'll fully express him by being filled up with his spirit. The spirit of God allows us to live lives that are that are good, that allows us to live lives that are that are that are godly, that allows us to live lives that resist all of the ungodliness. See, it is the Spirit of God that helps you with in areas. And listen, all of us need counseling. Let me say that. Everybody needs therapy, okay? I believe in that. But I also want you to know that in the middle of your Christian counseling, the Spirit of God is working. In the middle of, of that counselor telling you what you need to know, you also ought to be understanding that what they're saying is edifying by the, by the power of the Spirit to change your life by the trauma that you have been through. Not only does he save us by his works, and we, I'm not going to get into the language and why Paul uses such language, but it's heavy theological language. Why? Because Paul is making a statement to a bunch of people who do not believe in God. But then he also is saying, or they're struggling to, to really make that, that transition in believing and living gospel-centered lives or empowered lives, if we, as we would say. But he said he also poured out. Now, God does the work. But here's the interesting thing about Jesus pouring it out. He doesn't pour out some. You know when you're sharing some of, some of what you're about to drink and you just give somebody a little bit? God just, pour, he just, it, it just, it just keeps coming out. Right? And you know, when somebody gives you too much, sometimes you're like, that's enough. And God is saying that my grace, my mercy is always too much. It's always too much, beloved. So what he pours out on us richly helps us to understand that we're not justified, verse 7, by our grace, by our works, but by his grace and his alone. Because, beloved, the hope that we have, we're heirs to that hope. And that hope that we have is eternal, not temporal. The hope that we have actually insists that the things that are good works are we, what we need to devote ourselves to. That's verse 8. Devote to themselves good works. I feel like I wore y'all out. But I want to make this point as I conclude. That you have to say, I won't go back. I can't go back to the way that I used to be. That's a song. The reason being is because God has justified me not by my works but by his, thus making me profitable. One day, I probably told y'all this story before, uh, when I didn't have enough money in my pocket to take my wife out to, to a nice little dinner. One day we went out, you know, I was holding, I was walking by faith. You know, brother know how to walk by faith. Because, you know, when I first took my wife out to dinner, 
uh, for when I asked her the, the first time we were married, I, I took her to uh, one of the finest cafeterias uh, in the University of Missouri, and I used my swipe. She brought a friend. I told her, you, no, nah, you got to use your own meal plan today. But this day, we were going to, to Sweetgrass, and, and a beloved pastor who made God rest his soul, Timothy Russell said, why don't y'all go ahead and go to Sweetgrass and have a good time? So I, I just saved my little change to go ahead and spend a million dollars at Sweetgrass. Went on ahead. We had a nice little lunch. But you know how it is when, when you only got a couple coins in your pocket. You always anticipating the bill, what it's going to be like, what it's going to look like. And, and I get the bill. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. No, she comes. As I ask for the bill, I'm like, okay. I'm, I'm waiting. She said, you know what, sir, you don't have to worry about the bill. I'm like, yes, I do. Give me my, give me my bill. What you trying to do? And she said, it's already taken care of. And, and, and what I didn't know is that Pastor Russell paid for our meal. What it means is, is oftentimes we need to hear the gospel all again and again and again and again and be empowered by the fact of what happened 2,000 years ago is that you didn't have enough to pay or foot the bill. But that was somebody that paid it all. And what he did was he said that I, I'm not just going to come in all of my glory and my righteousness. I'm not going to come in all of my fanciness, but I'm going to come low and weak and feeble. I'm going to come as an empathetic human being, wrapping myself in human flesh so that you may know that I can feel all of the pain. I can feel all of the temptation. I know every time that you struggled. I knew when you were rejected, when nobody didn't want to be around you. I knew when you were struggling with your mental issues. I knew when I was reclining with the sinners and the tax collectors that these were no good individuals, but I'm here to make things good. I'm here not only to make things good, but I'm going to put myself on a cross so that I will bleed out so that whatever the blood flows from the cross will be a blood that makes you clean. There'll be a blood that allows you to be righteous. It's a blood that transforms your life. I believe it so much that the passion flowing from me is not because I believe it simply for you. It's because I believe it for myself. And if I don't believe it for me, how on God's green earth will I believe it for you? It is a God who I find myself in my solid foundation upon and him alone. It is in Christ alone that I have my victory, that I have my peace. I'm going to tell you right now, beloved, wherever you are feeling and sensing in this day in life, we're a church that is gospel empowered, not because we got a couple people coming together from different backgrounds, or we got a couple people that are trying to be aligned with a vision, but we got a God that has transformed a bunch of people to be here in this place right now to live for him and his glory alone. If you believe it, won't you shout glory? Father, we thank you so much. Oh, Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for your peace and for your glory. We thank you, Lord, what you did on the cross for us. 
that you paid it all when we couldn't foot the bill. Father, you remind us daily that we are individuals who are carrying out this here good news. A good news that calls us to, to be individuals sharing who you are, sharing and making it tangible of who you are, making sure that our community knows who you are. I pray, God, that we believe that, that we trust in that, that our hearts are restored and renewed by that alone, Lord Jesus. Help us, Father. Help us, Lord, to continue to live for you. Help us, God, to be filled with that spirit that walks alongside of us, giving us that newness of life. For we pray this in the precious and majestic name of Jesus Christ our Lord. All God's people say together. Amen. Let us continue to worship God, beloved, in the way that uh, we give to him in our tithes and offerings.